Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Banker Midweek. We are, once again, on LinkedIn Live. Um, I am Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor of The Banker, and joining me today is John Everington, who covers the Middle East and Africa for us. Hello, Liz. Hello. So although we are still, we are experimenting again with LinkedIn Live, never fear, uh, we'll, you'll be able to watch this on demand on the banker.com website um, after our session, but this will also be part of the Banker Midweek podcast if you've been listening along on your podcast platform. So you will not you will not miss any anything anything from our <laughs> lovely mm-hmm. insights for this week. So this is one of the things that we're going to do this week, John. I've decided to take a little break from the banking saga. Mm-hmm. We talked last week about um, J.P. Morgan and um, and uh, and buying up First Republic Bank in the U.S. But I want to move away from that. We're taking a little break because I'm tired. But Fair both enough. of us <laughs> both of us just came back from the Crypto and Digital Asset Summit, which is run by FT Live uh, here in here in London. Um, so uh, both of us moderated a few sessions mm-hmm. and listened in for a few sessions. So um, I have a few views, a few interesting comments that came in, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what you saw so far on day one in the morning. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, talking about the banking crisis, it's, I mean, there were one or two little comments here and there saying, I mean, crypto is like kind of industry very much had its kind of tough times in the past year. And then, so like, kind of, it was noted that well, everyone says that crypto is very volatile and mm-hmm. has all these issues, and I mean, the industry is beset by all these all these issues. And then, just people were noting that, so well, TradFi has been having its own issues um, in the past few months as well. So it's not just us; it's kind of it's the traditional side as well who are not immune from this kind of stuff as well. So, so yeah, that was I mean, that was one sort of like kind of particularly interesting aspect as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, of course, this is. Um, an FT, uh, a left FT live event, and I think one of the the speakers on stage said that he loves reading the FT because they make sure that their stories. We all make sure our stories are are accurate and true. Um, so, so you hope, but it felt like a very sober um, uh, event, a very sort of mature event, and that term mature maturity came up often because where last year there was a lot of very high profile failures, mm-hmm. uh, you know, FTX being one of the biggest. Uh, it, there was crypto winter when a lot of the cryptocurrencies lost lost their value. So a lot of people were talking um, a lot about maturity, which was interesting. But I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to I've been ranting about this now. This is now the third week in a row I've talked about central bank digital currencies <laughs> on the banker midweek, um, and we all know that, that uh, issues around privacy come up a lot when uh, discussions around central bank digital currencies are happening. Yep. The, the U.S. is not even experimenting with it. They haven't even started any project. And there's already politicians in the U.S. that are railing against <laughs> this uh, this dystopian currency that's going to come uh, and take over everything. But the uh, we had uh, Tom Sutton, who's head of fintech uh, at the Bank of England, on stage. So mm-hmm. Joy McKnight uh, was interviewing him. Um, and he was very entertaining talking about the Bank of England experimenting with uh, central bank digital currencies. First off, um, he, you know, I, I've had very libertarian types in the crypto world talk about um, if if central banks control digital currency, they can turn off this that money at any time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, do you know what quantitative easing is? You know, like that's <laughs> that, that barn door is 
is open, dude. And then they mentioned things like Vemno, which is a whole social payment system in the U.S. where you actually tell the public what you're buying with. So it seems that there's a little bit of a double standard about who gets to see uh, yeah. who gets to see uh, what the transactions are. But Tom Sutton made a point where he said, um, you know, privacy concerns are something they take very seriously. Um, and, and, and not in a flippant way. He said, most central banks don't care what you're spending your money on. And yeah, I think, didn't he use the <laughs> phrase, we don't care what kind of sandwich you exactly. want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're there about market resilience. Um, yeah. And it was funny, he told a story about uh, going to a coffee shop over the weekend and someone handed him a stop <laughs> central bank digital currencies flyer, not knowing who he worked for. Um, and one of the one of the warnings on the flyer was that this was all about the UK government trying to stop car boot sales, mm -hmm. which Tom Sutton of Bank of England said on live on stage that that's not true. <laughs> I think it was very good that he clarified that the car boot sales are going to remain. So yeah, mm. very important. So yeah, okay, good yes. good to get that out we of the way. We still have car boot sales, mm -hmm. but it's interesting. It's it's it is very much in the experimental phase, and I think um, you know hysteria uh, and dystopian futures aside. I think most, uh, you know, like the like the Bank of England, and, and eventually, if the Federal Reserve does look at this in the U.S., this will be privacy concerns will be something that yeah they'll consider. Indeed, and I mean, I think he he made that sort of distinction, which always needs to be made between privacy and uh, anonymity. That sort of that I mean, you can't really conflate like kind of one with the other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, just making the point that I mean, there I mean, with our transactions with our bank with our bank accounts now. If something shady comes along, there are kind of routes for people to kind of like to see, okay, it's like kind of what maybe not exactly what kind of sandwich John is eating, but it's like <laughs> what's he spending it's like kind of two thousand pounds on, it's like kind of in 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 wherever it may be from this kind of particular dodgy deal. So I mean, it's sort of it's kind of really sort of like of a piece with that in the sense that sort of okay, I mean, most of the time you're not going to sort of like kind of there isn't going to be that care about what you what you're spending your money yeah. on. Un unless I'm thinking sort of, some yeah. satire movie, you know, it's mm -hmm. like like your your pictures up at the Bank of England, like oh, Fred again today. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like that's right. He's gone for the super club again. <laughs> he's, he's not breaking the pattern yet. So yeah, you it's know. funny. I want to talk about regulations in a bit, but I forgot to mention uh, in my intro, as I mentioned before, we are LinkedIn Live, um, but we are in the TV studio here at the FT. So if you do have some questions, please type them into the interface and. Hopefully, our our lovely our lovely uh, team will, will will get them get them to me in an electronic fashion. <laughs> uh, but we'll, but we'll get to that in a bit. So I moderated a panel on trading and investment strategies, and we had three traders on. One wearing mm -hmm. a hold on for dear life cap. <laughs> you know, you have to be have to be a crypto bro. Um, but one of the things they complained about was that, especially in the U.S there isn't a lot of clarity around the regulations. And one of them said, we, we just want to know what the rules are mm. so we can follow them. Um, what, what have you seen people talk about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this, this did come up sort of in a number of sessions. I mean, I think it came up in the sort of in the sort of the scene setter at the beginning with, I mean, with David Mercer and the CEO of um, LAM, LMAX Group. And I think he was just basically sort of talking about, I mean, that regulatory uncertainty, particularly within the States, mm. and was just saying that, I mean, there could be possibly, I mean, given that uncertainty, you could see other regimes coming in kind of and maybe providing that certainty and therefore kind of like providing a sort of an alternative kind of hub, as it were, from the states. I mean, he said, I mean, from the capital markets point of view, really sort of, I mean, 
the states really should be the sort of the hub because I mean given its role within sort of like kind of tradfi in so many different areas but I mean if 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 the states did drag its feet um it did open the door for others to sort of to fulfill that role May, I mean maybe albeit temporarily but I mean but so like kind of create a bit of march I mean of course he talked about Europe uh, with the Mika regulations I hope I pronounced that right we were we were, Mika, yeah. we, we, were, we were debating it beforehand so <laughs> yeah and then but he also mentioned I mean other jurisdictions as well I mean he talked about um Singapore um out in out in Asia and he also talked about the Middle East which I mean is is my patch I mean you see some very interesting kind of stuff going on there in Bahrain, in the UAE, with the various different uh, jurisdictions there. They are creating those regulatory frameworks and, I mean, being quite bold about it. And, I mean, I'm going to be talking about that on the panel tomorrow. So so I thought that was that was an interesting one. Just, I mean, again, that sort of that regulatory certainty, that seems to be at a premium at the moment and people will go where, where mm. that is. So Yeah, it's interesting to see what will pop up, though, you know, different countries that just decide to be crypto friendly. I know mm. Portugal is very crypto friendly and and uh, various islands in the in the Caribbean as well. But I'm not quite. That's where FTX was based, so I'm not quite sure that's the best route. Well, together. and also, I mean, I've got to sort of like kind of fly the flag for Africa at this point. Mm. Central African Republic made Bitcoin legal tender um, uh, yeah. last year. We still don't know what on earth they were thinking. They have now rescinded that uh, decision. So. But um, yeah, they sort of, I don't know, they, did, they had their moment in the sun and they've decided to like kind of call it the day for the moment, so. All right, so I'm glad you mentioned Africa because your panel was about Africa. So mm -hmm. tell, us, tell us some of the insights that you, that you uh, your, your panelists talked about today. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of, it's very interesting talking about Africa. I mean, if you go back to sort of like kind of um, the birth of Bitcoin, the birth of cryptocurrencies and some of the sort of, some of the thoughts and the sort of like kind of desires about what those currencies would do being a sort of an alternative means of payment, an alternative means of financial inclusion, um, also kind of having a sort of fulfilling something like gold as a sort of a kind of a hedge against inflation or what mm -hmm. have you. Um, in so many parts of the, the world, that's kind of fallen by the wayside somewhat. Um, whereas in Africa, it still does kind of, it, that's, that's, those dreams still do actually kind of live on. And I mean, there are a number of just very good reasons for that. I mean, in terms of the sort of the hedge against inflation, uh, you have kind of had, I mean, Nigeria, for example, has had its currency devalued several times over the past few years. It's not the only one in Africa by any means. Um, now with the sort of the advent of stable coins, if you kind of, you put into like kind of into USDC, that is actually gonna be a hedge. So, and smartphone penetration is starting to increase. Um, I mean, in quite dramatically in a number of markets. Mm -hmm. So people can kind of like go into USDC um, and just kind of just to sort of pr protect their sort of their savings and their wealth. And then sort of linked with that um, as a method of payment, it's always worth remembering that, I mean, there's been so much stuff going on in Africa in terms of the mobile, mobile money revolution within East Africa in particular, not all, not all over Africa. Um, but it still costs more, more money to remit $200 to uh, sub-Saharan Africa than it does to any other part of the world um, as per the World Bank. And so people are saying, well, can we just remit um, using a cryptocurrency? Can we um, use a stablecoin as well? And, and this goes further in terms of the sort of e-commerce and payments, like kind of cross-border payments either within Africa or outside. Quite often, you'll have to go into dollars um, on both sides of the transaction and that's going to cost you a, um, a fair bit of money and it's going to take quite a long time for the transaction to come through. 
Whereas if you use a stable coin for this, then there is actually sort of, there is a cost saving, there is a time saving for that. So, I mean, we had some very, very interesting conversations uh, there with Mara and we also um, with CoinCoin as well, mm -hmm. who were doing these kind of um, solutions and are starting to see a re real traction on the ground in places like Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana and elsewhere. Mm, it's interesting. I'm glad you were talking about that because we have a question about Africa that came in uh, from someone listening saying, do you really need cryptocurrencies for payment? when you have mobile money and wallets in Africa? It, it, it's, I mean, I personally think this, I mean, this is a question that I asked um, on the stage and I was just saying to, um, to, to the guys there, everyone talks about financial inclusion in Africa. So the inclusion slight levels are still a little bit low. Um, people have been kind of bigging up virtual assets and crypto for, for kind of, for increasing that. But then I think the point is very well made that mobile, mobile money and mobile wallets are a much simpler and much more prevalent um, technology. I mean, we're not even talking about smartphones, even a very simple USSD phone, you can do mobile banking from, um, which I mean, has been so successful in, in Kenya and East Africa. Um, I think sort of in some ways, um, I think sort of, I mean, the simple answer is, I think both is the sort of, is the solution for the moment. I mean, in terms of, in terms of very, very basic financial inclusion and pe people being able to store money um, just on their phones, I think sort of a mo mobile money solution is very, very sort of like kind of sufficient for that. Mm. But in I think when it comes into its own is really for this for the remittances and payments kind of piece, and also for the store of value when you're kind of going into a USDC thing. So I think both I think is the simple answer. So, but I mean, it's I mean it's a very valid valid point. And I mean again, technology. I think you and I, Liz, have talked before about not adopting technology for technology's exactly, sake. Yeah. So go with what works. Don't go with the flashy, the sort of the flashy new solution. If shiny you can... thing, nice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. Don't go for the shiny thing if you can use something which has been around for 10, 15 years yeah. and which has, been, which has been proven. Yeah, no, I agree. It was interesting. Something that came out on my panel as well is, you know, what is, what is actually the value of cryptocurrency? Mm -hmm. You know, why, like, why exactly? Why, why do you need it in what circumstances? Um, but I think they started talking about totalitarian governments at that point <laughs> as well. Yeah. Now, in, a, in an early panel, I mean, Stephen Deal, who's a sort of, I mean, if you look at his bio, it says crypto septic, skeptic, and he's kind of like author of popping the crypto bubble. So you can kind of understand <laughs> like kind of where he's coming from. He'll say, look, I mean, you can do, I mean, what, blockchain is all very well, but you can do so much of this stuff you don't need a distributed yeah. ledger for. So do you really need to go down this way? Are you just doing this because it's a hype technology when when you've got the, sort of the existing technology for it? So, yeah. I mean, it's true. I know there was uh, this afternoon, they're talking a little bit about crypto culture. I mean, crypto is, is, is fascinating as a concept, but then there's this culture around it. It's mm. kind of Anita Hauser, our European editor said, it's like a donut with pink frosting on it. Ignore the pink frosting, mm -hmm. pay attention to the donut. Heard it here first. We've got another question, and we, we've got a bit more time for this question. So it's, but stable coins aren't that stable, are they? Or does Mika change that? And is it Mika or is it Mika? Anyway, well, yeah. yes, sorry. <laughs> M I C A. Yeah. No, no, it's a fair point. It mm. is definitely a fair point. I mean, if the past year has seen, has, yeah. has taught us anything, stable coins, I mean, the sort of, they may be called that, but then sort of kind of they're not one hundred percent stable. Mm. I think so. Sort of the they point they need to be sorry, connected to something. They you know, do. Yeah. yeah. When you just mm. make up a stable coin. Yeah, and I think sort of I think the point that came out um, just uh, I mean it was very interesting. It's like kind of um, uh, the chap from the Bank of England um, who Joy sort of was on the panel with. Yeah. He was talking about um, this sort of the question of interoperability came up, 
And he talked about interoperability, dearie me, um, with, um, I mean, he said absolutely not with cryptocurrencies. What he did say, which I think was very interesting, he, he did kind of open the door slightly to having a sort of interoperability with stable coins, but only when they were very, very well regulated and very well structured and tried and tested. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite an interesting sort of, um, sort of like kind of statement on his part that sort of like you could have that um, interaction with stable coins, that interoperability with stable coins. But he, I mean, reading between the lines, it doesn't sound as if he's sort of, it's it's not there yet. It doesn't sound as if there's a stable coin which really kind of meets the sort of the central bank like kind of um, sort of um, criteria for stability, as it were. Now, I think as the regulatory regimes deepen and as they progress, I'm not an expert on Mika, I'm afraid. So I don't, I don't know what's in those regulations relating to stable coins and whether that question is going to be answered. But you do wonder as time goes on, as the regulations developed, whether you will have that stability in the stable coin, which, I mean, will really open the door to further uses. Yeah, no, interesting. So I'm, I'll am i be back at the Crypto and Digital Summit uh, tomorrow. Wait, will you? I will, yeah. I'll be doing a sort of a panel on the Middle East. I mean, again, talking mm -hmm. about some of the jurisdictions out there, which is starting to put out some really interesting um, crypto regulations. Excellent. Yeah, and I will be talking. Um, I'm going to be doing a very early morning panel with FT journalists where we give our opinions about crypto. Mm. Um, and then also I'm going to be talking about NFTs and the metaverse with, I think, someone from Sotheby's as well. And so we're going to talk about art. Very interesting. And uh, very be, interesting be a very indeed. interesting uh, setup as well. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I don't know whether you want to, no insights on Saudi Arabia, no more from that? No, you know, I talk about Saudi Arabia. I can, I mean, <laughs> sort of, yes. I mean, there are, I mean, sort of, we had our, we had our Saudi profile um, in the magazine uh, for this month of May. Mm. Um, I will be writing in due course. I've said it on LinkedIn Live, so therefore I have to write it. So that's going to happen. I did have quite a few interesting um, conversations about the venture capitals like kind of um, pictured there um, mm. with the, within the sort of the startup world, particularly within the fintech space. Mm. Um, Saudi, ha I mean, there's been a lot of movements in the past in the past five years in that space. I mean, Saudi being the sort of the largest um, economy in the Middle East, and then with Vision 2030 coming in um, seven years ago, entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurship and creating a sort of an ecosystem which which does that has been very much on the agenda. And you have had some kind of some big um, sort of like funding deals uh, signed quite recently. So um, there was a local there was a local. Um, uh, food delivery um, company called Jahez, uh, which um, did a fundraise on the local stock exchange, uh, valuing the company at 2.4 billion. That was quite significant. Mm -hmm. And then, in addition, uh, just in March, um, just when I was in in Riyadh, um, there's a BNPL um, player called Tamara, um, and they raised 150 million dollars from Goldman Sachs, which is an unprecedented deal. Um, in uh, in the kingdom so there's some interesting things going on there there are still some questions about the depth of the market and there's particularly sort of like questions about the talent pool um both within saudi but also kind of like attracting the talent pool from the wider middle east into saudi um to really sort of like kind of get this um ecosystem going but you can read all about it in the article that i'm going to write Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> so lovely. So we're, we're entering our, our press week here at the Bankers. So the, the cover story for next month is going to focus on, I know I wasn't going to mention the banking saga, but it's looking at the role of the chief risk officer, which is 
um, very relevant to what happened with Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S. And our next uh, Banker Portfolio podcast, Functional Banking Magic, is looking at low code and no code with Shawbrook Bank. That will be out uh, next week as well. But, uh, John, thank you very much for joining me in the Bank of Midweek. Thank you, Liz. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.